Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. told one person what I was preaching on this morning and that was Adam but God obviously had another plan and God is really piecing something together this morning so I want you to think about what's already been said in the meeting this morning and I'm going to build on that it's quite incredible I was one of those people who raised my hand to say that I'm going through a tough time I'm going through a terrible time at the moment but that's perhaps what will make this authentic Um, because life doesn't stop when you go through difficult things. Difficult things are opportunities. Difficult things are not only opportunities to see God move, but they're opportunities for God to do something in you, because God doesn't want to leave you as you are. And so um, I guess what God was putting on my heart with what God is doing in my life is what God is wanting to say this morning. And I think that's really crucial Um, And so I want you to kind of listen on the back of what's already been said. But it also is in the context of where we are in movement and multiplication, which says to me even more, God is doing something. When I woke up this morning, I just said, God, today has got to be different. Today has got to be different. I can't have another day like the days I've been having. A day today has got to be different. And already it is beginning to be different. And then I said, and then you expect me to get up and preach as well. You know, but life doesn't stop when things go on and just because we're up here and we do what we do it doesn't mean we're immune from the difficult things that go on in life we live life the same as you do we all know the promises of God it's one thing to know them it's another thing to live them and God wants us all to live them because as we live them we become more like him as we allow them to change us into what he wants us to be so this morning and I just bring again that verse that uh, Matthew said this morning, it will happen as I have planned, it will be as I have decided. And I want to bring something of that in as well, that God is seeing things from the end to the beginning. He sees things from the end, and so he knows how things are going to pan out, so we can be assured that we know um, what his, his promises are and that they're going to be fulfilled. So two weeks ago, Mark got up to the end of, or got up to Acts 9, 19, um, and he talked about Paul and Saul and and his conversion. He hadn't yet become Paul, but uh, he talked about his conversion. And I want to just take the next few verses from there. Acts 9, 20 to 31, and it says this. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. As soon as Saul was converted, immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. You know, as soon as we have an experience in Christ, as soon as we are converted, there needs to be a confession, something coming out of our mouth in order to build on um, what has happened in our heart. Saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And um, And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them a uh, bring them bound before the chief priests. And Saul increased all the, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed and the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plots 
uh, became known to Saul. And those, uh, sorry, they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall and lowering him in a basket. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they attempted, sorry, he attempted, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them uh, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He, so he went in and out among them in Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists but they they were seeking to kill him and when the brothers learned this they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and who was and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied I want to focus this morning on that last verse verse 31 if I can so the church through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We're talking about movement and multiplication. That's our focus in these many weeks that we've built up. And quite clearly, very easily here, it's laid out for us three things that were essential in the church for it to multiply. The fact that the church was in a time of peace and was being built up. The fact that they were walking in the fear of the Lord <coughs> and the fact that they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So let's, I want to briefly look at those three things this morning um, because it's a recipe. God has handed that. These are three things that if we want to multiply, and we do and we are, but if we want to multiply then these three things have got to be a part of who we are in this place. So the church in a time of peace was being built up. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 uh, verse 1 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What does that word purpose mean? It means a valuable thing. So to every season and every purpose in God, there is a valuable thing. And it's war is, uh, means warfare or engagement, and peace means health or prosperity, safety or rest. You only grow in a time of peace. You do not grow in a time of engagement. During a time of engagement, you are being tested. Yeah. You're going through the fire. We grow in a time of peace. A time of peace is the time to actually to, to, to grow and to understand and to hear and to know what God is doing because when you come to a time of challenge, a time of engagement, a time of difficulty, you have got no time to start learning how to deal with it. You need to have your resources around you ready to, for God to be able to use to encourage you and strengthen you. One of the difficulties I have in my job at work is I've never done it before, what I'm doing now, and therefore I have to learn how to do it before I do it. It's incredibly challenging when you're expected to get it right. But God isn't like that. God says, you know, in a time of peace, he gives us seasons for purpose, for value. There's a value in every season. And one of the values of a time of peace is in order to be built up and to grow. And we are in a time of peace. Yeah. This church is in a time of peace and everything we've focused on for the last 18 months has been around building us up, yeah. 
strengthening us, encouraging us, developing us. When we're in a time of testing, that word peace, it means to, to prosper or to set at one again. You know, we need those times of peace where God can actually set us back at one again so that um, we can strengthen our foundations, so that we can uh, get our bearings again. We need times of peace and we have to recognise the season that we're in, both individually and corporately. I've been in a time of peace in my life for a long time, quite a long time, and now I'm in a time of engagement. Uh, my brother's been uh, has a life-threatening illness, and he's got a very short prognosis, and it's very difficult to deal with this. It's blindsided us. It's like a bomb has dropped in our family. We just don't know. How I do this if it's a day job, but I don't know how to handle this. Wow. It's really difficult. You think it's part of your job. You have all the answers, but when it happens to you, you don't. Yeah. It's very different. And I'm trying to deal with this and I'm trying to handle this as well as deal with my life. And this is no time to be thinking, oh, where was that in the wood? <laughs> this is a time to know that it's in here. So that when I wake up in the morning and when I go to sleep at night, I can quote scripture. I can use the scripture to comfort me. Because it's no good thinking, oh gosh, I wish I'd learned that. It's like saying when you can't fit into new clothes, I only wish I'd lost weight. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd done it before. No, you have to use your seasons and your times in order to grow and to develop and to learn. If you're in a season of peace now, it has value. Yes. And the church is in a season of peace at the moment. And therefore we need to use that as our opportunity to grow yeah. and to be built up. I'm reading a book at the moment by John Ortberg and he, he says things like the fact that it's not, what matter, it's not what's going on in your journey that matters. It's how your journey affects you. You know, I really truly don't believe God minds who you marry or where you live or which church you go to. I think he allows you to choose those. What he wants to know is how will your decisions affect your life and build you up. Because to every season there's a value. To every season there's a purpose. And we need to find that purpose within our seasons, within our choosing, within our lifestyle in order for God to be able to um, change us and grow us. It's not about what we do, it's about how we respond to what we do. Yeah, yeah. God wants our circumstances to draw us to become more like him. We are in the school of learning all our lives. We are in Christ's school of learning all our lives. And everything that goes, even this terrible situation in my family, is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn. And whenever you go through difficult circumstances and situations, it always brings out the worst in you, doesn't it? Yes. And at the moment, I'm having real difficulty sleeping, and therefore you know what you're like when you have not had <coughs> enough sleep for weeks on end. It's like when you haven't had your Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the girls at work say to me, you need to have your Snickers. You know, because... <laughs> Because it reveals something about us. Circumstances reveal things about you, don't they? They start to, when the fire is on, when the heat is on, when the difficulties are on, when the stresses are on, things come to the surface which you don't like, but God wants to deal with. And, and God doesn't do those things generally during a time of peace. He does them through a time of challenge and through a time of engagement of whatever that is. Yesterday I was at the partners meeting and I want to just consider 
um, something that was said yesterday morning because it triggered something in me. And looking at the big picture of what God has been doing this year in the house here, because Mark referred to three scriptures. Am I drinking out the bottle <coughs> these days? Um, it would be nice to have a glass if someone wouldn't mind. Thank you. Um, Mark referred to three things, three scriptures, which are very relevant to the house. And I saw something yesterday at the partners' meeting that, um, that, um, that I want to just share with you this morning in the light of this. Now, we all know that, if you've been here for a while, you'll know that Isaiah 37.30 is something that we've been referring to for many, many months in the house now. It's, it's how God has spoken to us about a three-year plan, if you like, and we're in the third year of that plan. And um, it was this verse uh, from Isaiah 37.30, and it's about tending the vines and it will produce the fruit. Um, and that verse comes from... Um, <coughs> You will neither see wind nor rain in the third year, says the Lord. Thank you, that's great. Um, uh, you will neither see wind nor rain, um, and then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their food. So Mark brought that out yesterday in the partners' meeting, and he said, tend the vines and it will produce the fruit. And then last week, if you were here last week, um, when, what was her name again, sorry? Vicky Simpson was here. Uh, she said this, and she said, the dry valley will be filled with water from Kings 3, 16. <laughs> this was in the second service. Now, those things are very, very similar. <laughs> they're talking about being productive. They're talking about water. They're talking about fruit. They're talking about production. They're talking about going from a place that once was dry to a place that is now, producing something which is life-giving. That's what they're talking about, both of those things. And then if you were in the first service last week, she said this, she said, it is finished. And if you remember that um, message, because I was in the first service last week, you remember that she said um, that Jesus declared it is finished just before he died. And it wasn't finished until he had died. But he declared it before he died. And that ties in very nicely with the scripture says that you can call those things that are not as though they were. It fits very nicely with what Matthew said this morning. It will happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. If we know the promises of God, if we understand the promises of God, because God is standing at the end, looking back to the beginning, we can call those things forward because we know that God has already declared it will happen. Yeah. It will be. And God is saying to us that the time of dryness and unproductiveness has finished and that now we're moving on to a time of, um, uh, of productiveness, of multiplication, and of fruitfulness, not only in our lives, but in the life of the church. Mark has said up here a number of times, the church is healthy. It is healthy. We are a healthy church. We are a balanced church. We understand kingdom principles. We are a generous church. We're, we're doing things that we know to do in everything. We are a healthy church. But it's really interesting, I think, to look at um, uh, <clears throat> what God is saying to us in a, on, as a whole. You know, we're in a time of peace. We're in a time of being built up. And in our time of peace, God is saying these things to us. 
Um, Isaiah, I'll show you that scripture, Isaiah 46, 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, says, uh, saying, my counsel shall stand and uh, I will do all my pleasure. Now, God, things that God has decreed and declared are done, <laughs> even before they're done. And therefore we can declare them like that and walk into them. Can we therefore call those things that God has planned for us done? I think we can. Yeah. I think we can say, God, we are going to be fruitful, that the valley is going to be filled with water, that we are going to be fruitful, that we are going to multiply. I think we can say that because God has been saying that to us. So I want to ask you, what valuable thing is God doing in your life at the moment? Yeah, to everything there is a season and a purpose under heaven. To everything there is a season and a value under heaven. So what season are you in? What season is the church in? And what valuable thing is God doing in your life? Because this walks, goes into the next thing. And Mark has, was talking this morning and again yesterday about being build, building people up, releasing people into their gifting and into their ministry. And you all know that um, you don't become pregnant and give birth in the same day. You conceive and the conception grows and then you give birth. And depending on whether it's a human or an elephant, it's nine months or two years. But God might be developing an elephant in you. And God might have conceived something in you quite a while ago that has been churning up inside of you that he now wants to bring to fruition. And God is, Mark is laying the platform open to saying, we want to grow people. We want to develop people and release people into their gifting. We've built the foundation into the church for this. This is your opportunity to come to them, to the leadership and say, look, I think this is what God's doing in me. I think this is where God wants me. I've had this in my heart for two years or, you know, for a few months. God conceives things in our heart that he wants to give birth. And I know that for a fact in my life, everything I've done and stepped into has been in my heart for a long time before I actually did it. That's part of patience and growing and developing and maturity. And you need to know what season you're in and you need to know what God is saying to you. In your time of peace, what, has God, what valuable thing has God been doing in your life? And so the second thing for, that, um, for the church, um, sorry, I don't think I've put it up there, is um, walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord. The first thing was um, being in a time of peace. The second thing was walking in the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? What does it really mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? I've sat and thought about this and thought about this and thought about it and sacrificed watching the rugby to think about this and to think about... I know, it was a big sacrifice. To think about this, God, what does it really mean to fear the Lord? Because we talk about God-fearing people and we talk about fearing the Lord, but actually, what does it really mean? Um, Job 28, 28 says this, it says, and this, is, uh, and this is what he says to all humanity, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Psalm 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, or I've added in there, a starting place. A good understanding, uh, we all have to do his commands and his praise endureth forever. So these two verses are telling us a bit about the fact that if the fear of the Lord is a starting place, it's a starting place for true wisdom. It's a starting place for understanding. It's a starting place for obedience to fear the Lord. Now the Hebrew verb, um, yare, says to fear or to revere or to respect. 
And I think we understand that. I think that to fear God is to respect God. Now, I can remember I grew up in the Anglican church and I would see everybody come in to the church and before they sat in their pew, they did a little curtsy and they bowed to the altar and they'd go in their pew and I think, well, what are they doing that for? I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, that is not revering the Lord. That is not revering the Lord. Because then you go out of there and you live the kind of life you want to live and it doesn't really matter. You know, revering the Lord and honouring God is to live a life that pleases him. Is to live a life that wants to serve him. To live a life that hates evil. To live a life that wants to walk away from the things that God doesn't like. You know, I didn't, unfortunately for my parents, I didn't grow up wanting to please my parents. But I know some children do. They grow up. They want to please their parents. Now, as an adult, I want to please God. I want to please him. I don't want to do things that displease him. I don't want to do disobedient things. I want to do things that please him. That is what it is to fear God. But the Greek noun, phobos, and I wonder if that's where we get our word phobic from, um, uh, is not just about fear of his righteous, righteous retribution, but a wholesome dread of displeasing him. You see, I think in the church, we've watered things down that we sometimes don't believe that God will really do what God says he'll do. Oh, we want him to do miracles. Oh, we want him to heal. We want him to deliver. We want him to provide. Do we want him to judge? Mm, good do we want him to judge us? Do we want him to see us in the secret place when we're doing what we shouldn't be doing? Do we want those things? Do we cherry pick from the word of God? You know, there's something about fearing God which is about a fear of his righteous retribution. You know, there is going to be judgment for those who do not surrender to Christ. There is going to be a judgment for the wicked. And, um, and we are going to have to account for the life that God... We're not going to account for our sin, but we're going to account for the life that God has given us. Do we really believe that? Are we living like that, that one day we're going to stand before Christ? Say, God, these are all the gifts and talents and skills that you gave me, but I actually did nothing with them. You know, we're going to have to account for that. And fearing of the Lord is an awareness that, yes, he's a holy God and a just God. It's not about raising your hands. It's about what you feel in your heart to God that says whether or not we fear God. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, it says, so, um, and uh, turns us away from the snares of death. How does that happen? Well, when we fear God and we want to be obedient, it helps us to turn away from those things that snare us. We talked uh, and we sang this morning about in his freedom I will live. You will live in his freedom, but not if you don't turn away from the things that have snared you. He's not a magician. He's not going to say, oh, I'll set you free from that, but you can carry on doing it. You know, if we want to obey God and if we, want, if we truly have the fear of the Lord, when we find his freedom, we do everything to stay in his freedom yeah, yeah. and to be obedient to the things that he speaks to us about. Yeah. Um, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And all who have it, and, and sorry, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. So if we want satisfaction and contentment in our life, it comes with walking an obedient life. The fear of the Lord is an awareness that we're in the presence of a holy and a just God, but he's going to hold us accountable for our motives and our thoughts and our words and our actions. We have to believe that. That's the true meaning of the fear of the Lord. To fear God is to desire to live in harmony with God's righteous standards. Yeah. God sees everything. God knows everything, but we have to have a desire if we really fear the Lord 
to, to, to live according to his righteous standing. Now, I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about a heart attitude. A heart, we sung this morning about surrender. A heart that says, God, I surrender to you. I keep getting it wrong. I, keep, I don't understand this. I can't change this. But God, I surrender to you. You know, when God squeezes us and the situations are difficult, the idea is that it causes us to lean more into him. Not to lean away from him, but to lean more into him. And, and this is one of the things that the church had. It walked in the fear of the Lord. It leaned into God. It leaned into his standards. It leaned into obedience. It leaned into a desire to please God. Um, and having a high regard for the word of God is an essential part in growing in the fear of the Lord. You have to have a high regard for this to really have a fear for the Lord because it's only in through this that you really know who he is. You know, don't think you'll know who he is from just hearing a sermon on a Sunday. You know, you have to really know him and to know him you need to read him about him and you need to understand him. Um, Deuteronomy says that, and this is interesting about tithing, it says, bring this tithe into the designated place of worship, the place the Lord our God chooses for his name to be honoured, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to those tithes of grain, new wine, um, olive oil, and the firstborn males of the flock. And do th- Doing this will teach you always to, <coughs> to fear the Lord your God. That's interesting, isn't it? Tithing helps you to learn to fear the Lord your God. That is really interesting because we do teach tithing here and we do tithe and that's part of our partnership. But actually doing it, I'm doing it not just out of obedience to the word of God, but actually it's going to help me to understand the fear of the Lord. And if I'm going to line up my life in terms of his commands, then I'm going to see. Because tithing says that's the only place in the Bible says God test me, test him, test him and see what he will do. Fear of the Lord is about believing God says he'll do what he'll do. For example, we will reap what we sow, whether it's good or bad. Don't think you only reap what you sow when it's good. You reap what you sow when it's bad too. That's the law of nature. That's the law of God. If you're sowing something negative and bad into your life, you're going to reap from that. Don't say, God set me free and deliver me, and then think you can carry on doing it. You're going to reap the rewards of what we sow. And therefore, having a fear of God will encourage us to sow the right things into our lives. There will be a day of reckoning and there will be a day of accountability. So the third thing then is walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And this means a lot to me at the moment. So walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Um, 2 Corinthians 1.3 All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a merciful Father and the source of all comfort. John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That Comforter means consoler, means advocate, it means intercessor, it means a place of solace. You know, for us as a church to multiply, it says that we need to know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I've known since day one that the Holy Spirit was sent as a comforter for me. And over my lifetime, I've learned how to find that comfort. And most people find difficulty finding comfort in the Holy Spirit. But I can assure you that once you've found it, you won't want to go anywhere else. Yes. You know, many of us, we get into difficulties. We phone a friend. Yes. And interestingly, in my life, my best friend is usually on holiday when I'm going through difficult times. And I think that God 
ordains that. I love my best friend dearly, but she has her life to lead, and God is doing something in my world when I go through difficult times and she goes on holiday. What is God saying to me? He's saying, I'm there. He's saying, I'm there. God has always blessed me with good friends. I have, I'm thankful for all the friends that I have, but you don't want to share everything with everybody, do you? But God is saying, I'm here. And God has taught me over the years to find that place of solace. My first response is never to tell somebody else when I'm going through a difficult time. My first response is to go to the one who never slumbers or sleeps. Yeah. To go to the one who never goes on holiday. <laughs> and there are times when we do need people. And there are times when we do need encouragement. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but we have to be able, if we want to multiply, we have to cultivate what it means to know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because if you've never been there yourself, you can never take anyone else there. And God is going to bring people into our world who are broken. He's going to bring people into our, our world that need comfort in a way that no human being can comfort. And if we don't know that comfort ourselves, how can we offer someone else the comfort of the Holy Spirit? I was reading in the paper the other day about those young girls in Nigeria that were kidnapped by Boko Haram. One of them has recently escaped and come back and told her story. I cannot imagine what that girl's been through. I cannot imagine. And the only person I think who can really comfort her in her inner being is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows us through and through and the Holy Spirit can touch you in that very, your very point of need. The Holy Spirit can touch you at your deepest point of need. The Holy Spirit can touch you in a place that you can't even put into words. The Holy Spirit can touch you in a place where you uh, have never shared, where you have been too humiliated or too embarrassed or too hurt or too wounded to tell another person or too ashamed. The Holy Spirit can touch you in that point. If you develop an ability to find comfort in the Holy Spirit, we people spend thousands and thousands of pounds trying to find comfort. People look to all sorts of therapies, they look to all sorts of medications, they look to all sorts of alternative things. Why? Because we all want to live in peace, we all want inner peace, we all want that in our lives but we can find that in the Holy Spirit nothing will heal you like the comfort of the Holy Spirit no human words will comfort you like the Holy Spirit will comfort you and you know we need to be able to find that in God and when I was thinking about this during the week I felt God spoke to me and God spoke to me and he said there are people even today who are feeling alone you don't have to be single to feel alone I know many of people who are, sing who are married and who feel alone. Feel alone in their marriage because uh, they cannot express or they cannot connect or they cannot whatever. You do not have to be single to feel alone. But God wants us, when we're alone, to be able to cultivate that relationship with the Holy that brings comfort. Because when we're comforted by the Holy Spirit, we can stand. And let me show you, this has been my favourite, this is my favourite scripture in the Bible and always has been. From Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, in God, in him I will trust. And then verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and I will honour him. 
What does it mean to dwell in the secret place? That word dwell means to sit down. I will sit down in the secret place. That secret place means a covering or a hiding place. I will sit down in a hiding place with God. To abide means to stay or to stop. If we're going to understand the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we've got to learn to stop and sit down and rest in a covering place, in a hiding place with God to enable him to comfort us. Very often we say glibly, Lord, I surrender it all to you, and then as soon as we're out the door, we're worrying about it again, and we're going through it again, and we're trying to work it out. God wants us to find that comfort by stopping and by sitting in a hiding place with him in order for him to speak into our life. This verse talks about living and knowing. It's a lifestyle. The secret place is not a visiting place. The secret place is a living place. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth. And when we're sitting in that place with God, when we're sitting in that hiding place with God, God, through the Holy Spirit, can reveal truth. You know, when we go to friends, and, and, and friends are always well-meaning, but when we go to friends, you're getting their opinion. When you go to the Holy Spirit, you're getting the truth. And sometimes we don't like the truth. And sometimes friends don't want to tell you the truth. <laughs> they want to tell you what you want to hear. But the Holy Spirit wants to tell you the truth. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you into all truth. You know, at your point in time now, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, the Holy Spirit wants to speak truth into your world. And we need to get in that place for him to do that. Acts 9 tells us that one of the contributory factors that caused the church to multiply was that the church knew how to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Matt. So going back to verse 31 then. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church in a time of peace being built up walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Praise God.